Hi, this is J.P. Maddock, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, this is the first anniversary of the podcast, so we're going to do something special. I'm going to play clips uh, and some entire segments from previous episodes. Uh, it should give a good idea, uh, particularly if you're new to the podcast. This will be a good sampler of some of the things, some topics I I talk about on the podcast. All right, so without uh, further ado, we'll go into the first clip, uh, which deals with conservatism. Uh, it's a it's conservatism explained, uh, in particular uh, American conservatism versus world conservatism. So we're going to, I'm going to play that clip for you now. And I think when I talk about conservatism, I talk about American conservatism as opposed to conservatism in general or conservatism in other countries. Because, you know, China has their version of conservatism. But when they talk about conservatism, they're talking about a totally different thing. Um, you know, they're not talking about freedom. They're not talking about liberty. They're not talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're not talking about any of that stuff. They may be talking about some cultural conservatism or religious. But, you know, in China, another example I would use was, you know, the USSR back when there was the Soviet Union. You know, they have a conservatism. You know, they they had conservative, quote-unquote, leaders. But those conservative leaders were not, again, interested in things like freedom. They were interested in socialism, perpetuating uh, communism, the, the Communist Party in the Soviet Union at the time. And so when I talk about socialism, or when I talk about conservatism, I'm talking about Usually American conservatism. And that's basically going back to the ideology of the founding fathers. You know, what did Washington, Jefferson, uh, Hamilton, and Benjamin Franklin, all those great founding fathers that we look up to, what were they about? What, what did they consider um, valuable? Because in their time, by their standards in their time, they would have actually been liberals. Their their point of view was quite a liberal, maybe even progressive in, in some ways, um, compared to uh, the other thoughts of the day where, you know, you had monarchs, you had kings, emperors, you had basically dictatorships, uh, very authoritarian systems back then. And there was no such thing really as a functioning democracy. Uh, really almost since uh, ancient Greece, you really didn't have, or Rome, you didn't really have any sort of democracy. Um, it was all authoritarian, authoritarianism or totalitarianism or what we would now call fascism or some collectivism. But at the time of the founding, um, the idea of people governing themselves and the government that governs 
governs the least, governs the best, being the preferable state of affairs, that was actually pretty new. That They would have been considered liberal in their own time. So we have to think about, you know, what the context of what the, what the context is when we talk about conservatism. So I'm talking about American conservatism most of the time. And again, I would define that as uh, the founding fathers had certain values, uh, life, liberty, the pursuit of property, which turned into the pursuit of happiness. That was more politically correct um, at the time. But those those are the, the, the foundations of, and there's the rule of law that, that again, going back to the Magna Carta back in England, that stated that, you know, there, there has to be uh, a rule of law that supersedes uh, the idea of a king being an absolute uh, monarch. And so, and but this was all new back then. Now we call it conservatism because once that, the founding of the United States was established, then now we want to conserve those basic ideas of liberty and justice and rule of law and and uh, religious tolerance um, and tolerance uh, in general of different viewpoints, um, the freedom of religion, religion expression, uh, the freedom to assemble, which of course you know are are under assault again. Of course, and for different reasons than back then, but they're they're being challenged once again. But that's why I'm talking about conservatism is conservative conserving the American. Okay, this next clip um, it's actually an entire segment onto itself um, deals with an incident that happened in Australia last year, last April, where a woman um, was arrested for organizing a protest, a, an anti-COVID lockdown protest in her city, in her, in her small town in Australia. Uh, she posted um, a meeting time and place for this event. It was a peaceful demonstration against the draconian measures then being uh, undergone in uh, her state in her province in Australia. And so she was uh, arrested for her efforts. And this is uh, just to serve as a warning that, you know, we think in the Western world, you know, our liberties are safe uh, and under any condition, but that's not always the case as they found out in Australia. So getting right to it, uh, I have to uh, start out with a dire warning about our freedoms or, or specifically what could happen under a Biden-Harris regime. Um, and what I'm talking about is an incident that happened in Australia a few days ago. Uh, according to the Independent, uh, the newspaper of the UK, uh, entitled 
uh, Australia pregnant woman arrested in front of family for promoting an anti-lockdown protest online. Uh, reading a little bit from the article, uh, it says, A pregnant woman who was taken away by police in Australia for allegedly inciting activists to demonstrate against lockdown measures in her region has said she did not know she was breaking the law. Zoe Bueller was handcuffed in front of her children at her home in the Victoria state of Ballarat and led away in pajamas to be charged with using social media platforms to incite others to break pandemic restrictions by attending weekly weekend rallies. This should be extremely frightening to those who love liberty, uh, such as myself and, and I assume you who are listening to this, uh, it's, well, first of all, it's, uh, denying this person, uh, their right to the freedom of assembly. Of course, in Australia, they don't have the Bill of Rights as we do, but they have, you know, a similar code of rights and a, a constitution that they have to live by. And, uh, I don't know what amendment in their constitution tells them that they have the right to assemble on free speech, but whatever that amendment may be, or whatever that clause may be, uh, this would obviously seem to break it. So just for a little background on this, uh, this woman, Zoli Bueller, uh, who's also pregnant and on her way to an ultrasound at the time when the police came into her abode and arrested her in front of her children. She was uh, accused of inciting uh, people to break the law. Um, of course, they have strict lockdown measures. And in Melbourne, uh, the capital of the state in which she lives, she lives in a suburb of Melbourne, called Ballarat, in that uh, suburb and in that state they have the strict, some of the strictest lockdown measures going on in the world. Um, currently, of course, Australia has its seasons opposite to us, so presumably if they have a cold and flu season they would be in it now, as this would be the middle of winter for them. Um, and apparently her, her state of Victoria has the highest current rate of COVID cases in the country. It's it's the hot spot of Australia currently. And basically what she tried to do, well, what she did do, was based on fa Facebook uh, uh, posting that suggests that people come out and test the uh, severe lockdown measures in her state. Now, of course, that she did mention that um, in the posting that you know social distancing should be observed and masks should be worn, and that proper uh, precautions be taken. Uh, but this all was to no avail. It made no difference to the police in Australia. Um, arresting her. 
Now, it's interesting to know that, I guess a little while previously, I believe it was a couple weeks previous to this, uh, there was a huge BLM march, uh, uh, protest march, in that same state. Uh, of course, no one was arrested for that. And of course, there, there were lockdown measures in place. Uh, so it, it shows like a, a huge degree of hypocrisy. Now, when asked, you know, when, when Australian officials were asked why the apparent uh, lack of consistency uh, between uh, locking up people for uh, freedom protests and for BLM protests, they said that there was too many people, get this, who wanted to protest for BLM and be unreasonable to try and arrest that many people. Apparently, uh, a lot like uh, has happened in this country, the authorities have no problem uh, hassling or arresting people for protesting you know, against the lockdown measures for COVID-19. But they have they have no pro they have no problem if you protest for for BLM Black Lives Matter, but you know God forbid you should protest for your right to go to church on Sunday or right to assemble or right to free speech. That of course will get you called selfish in this country, and of course it will get you locked up in Australia, at least in this one state of uh, Australia. So why is this important? I mean, this is happening literally on the other side of the world. If you happen to live in the United States, it's happening all the way on literally on the other side of the world. Why is it important to us? Um, well, looking at this, uh, the question I have is, is this a preview of things to come if Biden should win the presidency in November? Now, remember, Biden has already said that if he were president, he would mandate three months of all Americans wearing masks. Uh, presumably, this would be irregardless of what your state jurisdiction would want or how what the caseload is. Uh, he would, uh, under his own volition, and apparently... Uh, would have no problem ordering American citizens to wear a mask. Um, when he talks about it, he doesn't say that he would ask the governors to make this mandate. He, of course, doesn't ask for us to voluntarily subject to a mask mandate, uh, as they do in Sweden. Uh, his preference is to simply order Americans about and of course if he were to follow through on this uh let's see he would be inaugurated on the 20th of january 21 or thereabouts and so a three month long ma uh, mass mandate would last until after saint patrick's day okay now keep in mind, in most of the country, uh, we're already under some sort of mask mandate. 
uh, in some states, such as New Jersey, New York, there's been a mask mandate for meeting, for uh, commuting and meeting inside and going to stores since mid-March of this year, or I'm sorry, mid-April. Uh, I believe April 11th was when the mass mandate started in most of these states. And so we are currently in, let's see, that would make us six or seven months in. My math is not that good, but you get the idea. So now we're talking about, for some Americans, uh, close to a year of living under a mask mandate. Uh, should Biden be elected and keep his promise of ordering all American citizens to wear a mask. Now, it's kind of funny if you've already been wearing masks for the last five months. Um, I know in New Jersey, for instance, they've only just opened up restaurants for indoor eating. I believe it's at 25%. So, I mean, and most of the country... Uh, or like most of the red states, you can already eat indoors or at, at least 25%. So what's really the incentive of uh, if you're already in a red state and you can already have these freedoms, you know, you're, you're going to, to s uh, submit to a, a mask mandate, really? You know, but that's what Biden wants. Uh, He's also suggested that he would reinstitute a lockdown on the entire country uh, on the word of presumably a single doctor uh, like Dr. Fauci uh, if he were president. So I don't think it would take much of a stretch of imagination to believe that one who would do these things wouldn't also lock up people for trying to exercise their First Amendment rights. Um, we've already seen the limiting of our First Amendment rights by the big techs, um, Facebook, Twitter. They won't even let you post factual information about COVID-19 or uh, hydroxychloroquine that doesn't match with their orthodoxy, orthodoxy of what they believe uh, you need to know about COVID-19. So I don't think it's much of a stretch, uh, given all that, that a President Biden wouldn't take to locking up people for simply posting uh, suggestions, calls to uh, protest. Uh, of course, I don't. I doubt that he would have any problems with BLM protests. Uh, if he were elected, I think he'd be perfectly fine with them. But as we've seen in other states already, uh, BLM is okay, but God forbid that you should uh, protest for the right to go to church or the right to assemble or free speech. And that's a big no-no. And even if it wasn't Biden himself, uh, could you imagine, you know, as bad as they are, some of these blue state governors like Whitmer, Wolf, and Newsom, uh, 
what they would do, how they would be emboldened under a Biden, uh, particularly a Biden presidency that maybe uh, has uh, proceeded to pack the Supreme Court with liberal justices so that you know, even if you took the state to court, uh, you'd run into a roadblock uh, with your with your case because if it got to the Supreme Court, um, the liberal justices probably would not be interested in enforcing your First Amendment rights. And uh, not for nothing, but it's worth mentioning that Australians lost their right to bear arms a little over 20 years ago, back in 1997, after an incident in that country. Uh, so, when I encourage you to ask politicians who are for gun control, what do you have in mind for us that can only be achieved by disarming us, the law-abiding citizens, uh, this is the sort of thing I'm talking about the just flat-out tyranny over the people, uh, arresting people for minor, minor offenses, for merely suggesting that people uh, go out and protest for, for their rights. And so I think it uh, just bears some consideration when you're considering who to vote for, uh, how easily we could uh, slip into uh, something like what Australia is doing, the, the tyranny that we're seeing in Australia. I don't know how really you can call Australia a free country anymore um, if their politicians are prepared to do this sort of thing, uh, arresting their citizens for merely asking people to to congregate and protest, even with safety measures, even with all of the, uh, with, you know, requiring masks and safety measures, social distancing, even with all that, uh, that sort of thing would be deemed illegal. And of course that would do away, that would mean that you have no First Amendment rights, uh, if there's a pandemic crisis such as we have today in this country and around the world. Okay, this third clip comes from the Christmas special. Um, in this clip, I talk about the Founding Fathers and what they believed. Um, to contrary to some popular belief, they were religious they may not have been uh, expressly Christian, or they may not have belonged to a specific denomination, at least not all of them. But they did um, all follow the basic uh, Judeo-Christian values. And they were uh, religious um, in, in their own way. And... Uh, I'm talking about here uh, some of the beliefs of the Founding Fathers and some of their, the people who influenced them. Uh, one in particular was a man named John Locke. 
Uh, he did two treatises on and uh, he talked a lot about natural rights. A lot of what you read in the Constitution, a lot of the ideas in the Constitution about natural rights uh, and the, the, the ideas of negative rights that are in the, uh, the First Ten Amendments, the uh, Bill of Rights, um, this a lot of that comes from uh, John Locke and the other Enlightenment philosophers that the founding fathers studied. And but how does that again, you know, try to relate this back to conservatism? Um, the people who are trying to control us. They believe that they can do so uh, because they don't believe themselves to be our equals. But our our country was founded on the proposition that all men, and by extension all women, all men are, and women were created equal under the eyes of God. And that's literally written into our founding documents. And of course, our founding fathers, the ones who wrote those words, those documents that spoke of all men being created equal and about the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they were all students of the great Enlightenment philosophers of the day. So they would have been familiar with the works of Locke, uh, Rousseau, Hume, all those great thinkers of the day. And, uh, and yeah, some of those uh, philosophers had different viewpoints about uh, philosophy and different uh, philosophical uh, conclusions that they drew. But the founders were well-versed in all of them. Uh, so now, just to give a quick example of uh, one of those, John Locke, uh, what he said, uh, he said, for, for men being all the workmanship of one omnipotent and infinitely wise maker, all the servants of one sovereign master sent into the world by his order and about his business, they are his property whose workmanship they are made to last during his, not one another's, pleasure. And that is one of, I think, the principles from John Locke that the, the founders really uh, believed in. And uh, he also... Uh, says in this second treatise on, on government, men being by nature all free, equal, and independent, no one can be put out of this estate and subjected to the political power of another without his own consent. Uh, that is not what our leaders on the left believe. Uh, so let me read that again. Maybe this time a little more clearly. Uh, men being by nature all free, equal, and independent, 
no one can be put out of this estate, meaning this state of affairs, and subjugate, um, subjected to political power of another without his own consent. And so that means that the leader's true, true governor governorship comes from the consent of the governors. That's the only form of legitimate governorship. Uh, and that is because that they uh, all men are free and equal and independent, as he says. And to try and subjugate uh, people uh, through political power goes against the natural order or natural laws of things. And John Locke believed in uh, there's the the legal rights and there are uh, natural rights. And those legal rights are the ones that the government gives you, that kind of privileges or rights that governments give to people. But he also believed that men were uh, born with some inalienable rights, you know, as Jefferson said, the life, uh, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of property or pursuit of happiness, as it uh, came out in the Declaration. And you can see now that the people um, who are using fear to govern us uh, through the state of emergency with COVID. They don't believe in this. They don't believe in John Locke, uh, who was one of the uh, influencers of the Founding Fathers. They believe that the rights are what the government tells you you have, or what the, what the government uh, has the right to tell people what to do, uh, because the, the government is not derived, you know, they, it doesn't, their power doesn't get derived from the consent of the people. It gets consent, it's derived from controlling the people. And the way they control people most of the time is through fear. All right, the next clip deals with, uh, if you remember, um, shortly after the incident on uh, July or, or January 6th of 2020 um, regarding when the House of Representatives were meeting to vote and ratify uh, the electors. Um, of course, there was the incident at the Capitol and uh, there was um, some riots. A uh, person was killed, a uh, young lady, a uh, veteran of the Air Force was killed and some other law enforcement officers died, uh, not in the action, but um, at that same uh, time. And so uh, the response was to bring in for the inauguration some 25,000 or so troops. Um, and they put up uh, this barbed wire fence, this fence uh, with concertina wire on top um, checkpoints, uh, troops uh, wandering around our nation's capital. And this is what I had to say about this little bit of political theater.
Okay, so let's talk about the troops. Okay? So around 25,000 troops were sent to the nation's capital after the Capitol Hill riots on January 6, 2020. Uh, this was largely political theater. Uh, I've talked about this before. Um, the whole idea of sending that many troops, talking about between 25 and 26,000 troops, is really just to cre create the impression that that many troops are needed. Okay, so this would constitute, I, in my imagination, the largest, one of the largest uh, gaslighting um, attempts in the world, in the history of the world where you're trying to make uh, roughly 350 million people believe that uh, 75 million or so of those people are potential terrorists. And the way that you do this, as I mentioned before, is you create a response to a threat, but you don't create the response to the threat that actually exists. You create a response to the threat that you want people to believe exists and that would be really the the rationale for having 25,000 troops um, now it's being said that 7,000 troops will be continued to stay on in nation ca nation's capital until the end of March um, that's still too many um, you could do that mission uh, with a few hundred troops, um, you know, maybe around the, the big holidays you might up it to over a thousand, but even that would be really pushing it. I think that would just, in itself, would be too much. But if you're going to have National Guard troops there, if you really feel the need for that, um, that sort of mission can be done with a few hundred troops. Um, and you can, by the way, dispense with all the the fencing, temporary fencing with all the razor wiring. That's again, you know, just, you know, equivalent to uh, setting props in a, in a uh, uh, some sort of theatrical stage show. But that's all that is, is just um, setting or set dressing. Um, but these National Guard troops have been asked to stay on until fall. Uh, basically, um, there's a internal memo obtained by Fox 5 in DC that suggests that the National Guard players have been asked to establish how many troops can be sustained in DC through at least fall of 2021. So they're trying to see the maximum number of troops that they can keep in Washington, D.C. Uh, presumably till um, the end of fall 2021, which would be uh, around December. And again, there's no need for this. This is just all political theater and this is very expensive political theater at that um, you know after the 9-11 attacks we had 
National Guard on high alert, and there was National Guard in the capital, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, twenty five thousand. I don't think it was even seven thousand. Uh, and if it was, it was only for a few weeks. It wasn't for uh, months on end. Now, what people on the other side are fond of saying is that, well, you know, they broke into the Capitol and they destroyed the Capitol, the inside of the Capitol. Well, it's not quite true. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, There's no siege of the Capitol. The people went in. Um, they broke in. They shouldn't have been there. And it's a good thing that they were arrested, particularly the ones that did damage and and made threats to the congressman and Vice President Pence at the time. Uh, I think all uh, conservatives are pretty much unanimous uh, in stating emphatically that what happened at the Capitol building on January 6th was wrong. It shouldn't have happened, and it was a very misguided attempt on the part of those, those uh, small few um, who actually uh, took part in the the capital capital building riots, and so we don't condone that. But yet, um, the opponents will say that they did all this damage. Um, a little bit exaggerated. They said that they will say that five people were killed, five people were not killed. Um, at least three, if not four, of those uh, people that died died from other causes. Um, there's the one account um, that's gone around it, about the uh, police officer being uh, bludgeoned by a fire extinguisher. That's untrue. The coroner's report um, said that the person, that the officer did not die of blunt force trauma. Um, so that's a myth being uh, still going around about the Capitol Hill. Now, the one young lady did break into the Capitol and did try and climb through a door, was shot by a Capitol uh, police officer or some sort of law enforcement officer. Not sure exactly what what department, but she was shot and other people did die, but they died not of any injuries directly related to the event. So just keep that in mind, but they will they they will say that nonetheless. They they like to point that out. They conveniently forget about this past summer, when for an entire night, uh, a group of rioters basically laid siege to the White House. I'd say more accurate uh, use of that word siege applies to what they did at the White House than what happened to the Capitol building. But nonetheless, however you want to describe it, they uh, they attempted to break down the barriers. They attempted for hours upon hours to get through the barriers that stood between them and the White House. And so my question to any of those who don't think that that warranted uh, 7,000 or 25,000 uh, National Guard troops um, what what do they think that those people would have done uh, had they managed to break through those barriers? 
Uh, now, of course, Secret Service probably would have ended up, you know, shooting them, to be quite honest. But, you know, do you, do you think they would have settled for stealing podiums, uh, taking selfies in the office, in the Oval Office, or what have you? No. Um, I think any any intellectually honest person would have said that had any of those rioters who were rioting that day attempting to get through the barriers actually managed to get into the White House. I think uh, it's pretty safe best they they would have attempted to murder President Trump. I, you know, let's let's be honest about this. Um, you know, if, if we can't be honest about this, then there's no point in even carry on the discussion really because it's just not a rational point of view to say if you need 25,000 or 7,000 troops protect because that was broken into and you and you dismiss entirely what happened in the White House this past summer I think you know you're just being intellectually dishonest um, and best you can do is online uh, is just point that out that that you know like okay fair enough if um, if National Guard presence is warranted uh, because of some sort of threat to the Capitol and there was a riot and there was damage to the Capitol then then you have to conclude also if you're being intellectually honest that the response to the White House riots attempting to, you know, the riots attempting to break through the barriers there, um, then you have to also say that our government underreacted um, to the White House riots. So, you know, those, these things are, you know, mutually exclusive points of view. You know, either 25,000 troops are too many and would also have been too many uh, to call in after the White House riots or that 25,000 or 7,000, if you will, are appropriate, but we under-responded in the case of the White House. So, you know, you... Know, you you have two inconsistent points of view being being proposed by uh, the Democrats and others on the left. You know, either one response was insufficient or the other response is over the top. And I believe that the 25,000 to 6,000 troops is over the top. It's as I said, it's political theater meant to have us believe that um, you know your your neighbor next door who had a Trump flag flying in their yard or a Trump sign in their yard before the election is a potential um, terrorist, potential domestic terrorist. Let's let's be honest and say that's the whole point of having that many troops there is to make it. Uh, conceivable that that's the truth when of course we know that that's not the, the case 
And this is like the biggest case of gaslighting probably in the history of, the, of this country. So, in closing in this point, you know, I'd ask the federal government to just stop the charade. Um, stop pretending that, that the uh, domestic terrorist uh, threat from, particularly from right-wingers, is any more than just, you know, a blip on, you know, just a passing thing, a relatively minor occurrence that is mainly in the domain of law enforcement and doesn't require... Um, all that troops, all that much troops. It's you know, you know, don't don't tell us that there was troops are needed. You know, we're we're I think we're smarter than that. Uh, this next clip uh, deals comes from my episode, first of two episodes dealing specifically with the idea of bigots and bigotry. Uh, in this clip, I talk about uh, cancel culture and how. Cancel culture is a form of bigotry. Um, so the cancel culture uh, is a form or can be a form of bigotry. And we need to start treating it like that. When we're um, called racist, um, homophobes, xenophobes, um whatever, uh, anti-Muslim, anti-gay, or any of those things. You know, we need to understand that that attitude, that painting everybody with a broad brush, that is prejudice. That is, you know, an obstinately held or intolerant uh, belief in uh, an opinion that uh, all Trump supporters or all Republicans are bad. And, of course, that is bigoted uh and we need to call people out on that um it's not unusual for people expressing online particularly on twitter facebook um conservative views even if they're person you know perfectly rational views held by a lot of people they're maybe even common sense you would think um and of course, I perf personally have experienced this uh, being ally called a racist or a fascist, fascist, or you know, just because I may even something vaguely um, favorable to Trump, I make a remark even vaguely favorable to Trump, or not towing the PC line completely. Um, they they feel free to express their bigotry online. And uh, it's something, you know, of course, I, you know, giving you, know, you, my audience, the benefit of the doubt, I would assume that you're not any sort of racist or any of those uh, things. You don't have hatred toward any particular group in your heart. Um, but you have to recognize that many on the left, they do have hatred for us, in their hearts and that makes them bigots and we have to show them for what they are and don't be afraid if you see a, a comment that's clearly out of line uh clearly anti-trump that has no basis in reality saying that you know well you don't approve of mass or you don't approve of the lockdown therefore 
you're anti-science. You're all a bunch of hick hayseeds who uh, think the Earth is flat. And I've I've had online like almost word for word uh, things like that said to me in comments, and uh, a lot of times, you know, I I think the worst thing you could do is try and get defensive and try to explaining if you're explaining you're losing you ha have to counterpunch as the uh, president would say you know you give a, it's, it's like why are you a bigot and that that stuns um, people on the left because they don't believe that it's even possible for them to be bigots um, they have no clue of that what they're saying is in fact bigoted uh this next clip uh is another clip um from my follow-up to my bigotry episode called uh, and this one's called bigotry revisited and this particular clip uh asked the questions what if the left applied uh, CRT critical race theory to themselves uh, would they pass their own uh, test um, so it's interesting to ask this question and, and here are my thoughts on that so we have the uh, left uh, with their critical theory believing that the more powerful will always subjugate the less powerful that's kind of inconvenient for them now since they are more powerful. They're more powerful, as I said, in media, academia, and in a couple days on the January 20th, 2021, they're going to take control of Congress and, and of the White House. And there will be an imbalance of power between Democrats and Republicans, between left and, re and right and between conservatives and uh, non-conservatives uh, particularly the liberals and but actually the left so in a way they're actually validating their theory but not in the way I think they would want to is because they're proving that that the weak will subjugate or the, the strong will subjugate the weak and the the the, uh, the strong will always exert their power over those who are weaker, and of course, being weaker, also in the area of Silicon Valley, those people uh, in Amazon and in Google and in uh, also all the social media pro, uh, platforms uh, Facebook and, and Twitter and the like uh, there's an imbalance of power and they're exploiting that imbalance of power uh, with those other uh, entities such as Parler who are trying to emphasize free speech and so in a weird way they are indeed validating their own central theory of uh, their, their own critical theory uh, which is also the, the 
the parent theory of critical race theory. And of course, there's another component to what they're doing. Uh, this is a show of force meant to intimidate people uh, out of supporting Trump or the Republicans or any of his party. Basically, their idea is to marginalize anybody who may have supported Trump, especially the more vocal supporters of Trump. But they also uh, kind of try to uh, fire a warning shot, as you will, at the rest of us who don't subscribe to uh, the leftist doctrines. Those of us who are libertarians and conservatives who are interested in personal freedom and responsibility. Those of us who uh, believe in the Constitution. Um, those of us who believe in natural and human rights um, in, in all cases and not just um, in certain cases. All right, this next clip comes from the free speech special which I recorded shortly after Parler uh, came back on the air, came back um, uh, into cyberspace uh, after uh, being canceled temporarily uh, by the forces of the left. Uh, mainly it was uh, their competition, their, you know, Twitter basically took this up, did the opportunity of the incident at on January 6th, the riots I spoke about earlier, to basically take out their competition, which is Parler. Um, so I made this. Uh, this clip uh, deals uh, with the left left's war on free speech. What does their war on free speech say about them? Well, what I want to talk about first on the free speech is, is what does the left's war on free speech say about them? Well, I would say, uh, first of all, that their arguments cannot withstand debate. Um, if they thought their arguments could withstand debate, um, the issue of free speech would be a non-issue. You know, the, the right or the conservatives would simply make their claim. The uh, left would, would simply make their counterclaim or disprove whatever the right or conservative said, and that would be the end of it. But since they, have, they seem to have a tough time doing that, um, they don't want to have the debate at all. And plus, it's not the left's most operandi to operate on facts and, uh, I guess, logical reason. Uh, the facts is the left succeeds through the manipulation of emotion or facts versus feelings. And so it doesn't matter what the facts are or what the statistics say. Uh, they want you to act on your visceral emotional um, reaction to whatever is being done. So say in the case of uh, police shootings, it doesn't matter. Statistically, there's no proof 
that police shoot and kill uh, unarmed black men at a higher rate than any other uh, race or any other group of people. Uh, you can uh, show them all sorts of statistics saying that uh, the vast majority of people, black or white or any color, being killed by policemen, uh, the vast majority of them turn out to be justified shootings. Um, but the left don't want to hear about that because that doesn't support their argument. They, they want to focus particularly on individual incidents as they happen. Uh, and of course, that's when the anger uh, on people rises up. You know, sometimes the anger is justified, like in, in George Floyd, there was not much justification in his killing. But justified or not, the, the, um, the left operates on those feelings of anger or uh, fear, as in the case most of the time with COVID-19. Okay, this clip deals, uh, this is also from the free speech special. Uh, this one deals with the idea of facts versus feelings. It specifically uh, talks about how the left manipulates feelings to get around dealing with the facts, which are often contrary to the narrative that they are trying to sell the public. So here in this clip, I talk a little bit about that. Um, they're, they're playing on people's fear, but it's their, it's their emotions. And of course, the whole thing about um, not having schools open, that's an emotional argument. It's in, you know, they, they're uh, putting teachers' lives at risk, etc., uh, etc. Et you know, the old argument, well, it's, it's old by now, that you're, you're not wearing a mask, so you're killing their grandma. Uh, even though you, you never meet their grandma and they're the one who ultimately would have given them COVID-19. But that notwithstanding, you know, that's too much logic. They want you thinking about um, the teacher being uh, sick or grandma dying of COVID-19 or whatever it is. You know, so they really play upon people's emotions to get what they want and they they are very successful at that um there's there's just no way around it they are they've been very successful um of course you have a lot of lockdowns mass mandates uh you know cl school closures uh the science does not back a lot of that up particularly with the the continued school closures um Studies show that teachers um, are no more at risk of contracting COVID-19, doing their job, than anybody else still working or uh, working with the public. Like, um, um, say, your your grocery store clerk or your mechanic or anybody else who's working during the whole time during COVID-19. You know, teachers are no more at risk than any, any other profession that deals with members of the public so but they don't want you thinking about that um they don't want you thinking about um you know if if the you know they, they want you concentrating on and worrying about 
uh, cases rather than deaths and, and hospitalizations because you know nobody can get emotionally attached to the idea of a, a simple case of COVID-19. You know, you get attached to people on ventilators or extremely sick or dying. And so that has more emotional weight than simple cases. Um, but when the deaths and the hospital rates don't go in their favor, that support the narratives. All, all that's left is, is the cases. So they, they concentrate on that. So, you know, they, they direct you here, your attention here and there, depending on what supports their argument the most. And what supports their argument uh, is what gets most rise out of you. Um, whether or not, you know, emotional, your, your emotional content of your feelings at the time is what they're playing on. Um, but all that being said, I think the right would do well to remember that feelings are real to those who feel them and they must get better at tying facts to feelings. Okay, I want to thank you for listening to this first anniversary podcast. I hope this is the first of many, and I hope you enjoyed this show as well as the preceding ones. Uh, hopefully, if you know if you've not listened to some of the other episodes, this will hopefully inspire you to uh, give some of them a listen. Uh, these segments are going to be mentioned in the show notes here. So don't worry, you should be able to be able to find them. And uh, as always, I want to encourage you to listen or uh, read the uh, libertyrelearn.com blog online. Uh, A lot of articles, stories, uh, some of them I repeat on the podcast here. Some of them you will only read on the podcast. on the blog so please check out libertyrelearn.com and also check out Liberty Relearned on Facebook and also on Parlor. Uh, you can uh, check me out JP Mac uh, look up Liberty Relearned you should be able to find me on Parlor. and hopefully in the coming year um, we'll have some more uh, things for you some more ways to get the message out to interact with you the listeners so i appreciate everybody who's listened uh if you like this podcast please uh send somebody else um you know the technology makes it very easy to do so please do that i appreciate again you listening very much and uh, join us again next week when we begin the second year of the Liberty Relearned podcast. Thank you.